I'm Michael McMullen. This is the World Snooker Tour podcast. And never mind the two Ronnies. For the first time, it's the two Michaels on the podcast this week. I'm joined by someone who isn't on the tour at the moment, but if cards were handed out for being well-liked by fellow players, I think they'd have made him a life member by now. It is Michael Hulse. Great to see you. Yes, hello. How are you? You've been around since the 90s. I remember you as a young man thrilling us all at the UK Championship in that quarterfinal against John Higgins, who was world number one at the time. And you looked like this wonderful new presence on the circuit, full of fluency and confidence. And as you've gone on to be a very good player for many years since. But what are your memories of that getting to the quarterfinals at quite an early stage of your career? Yeah, it was my second season, really proper. So, yeah, I do remember it pretty well because obviously it was at the time it was a big big deal for me uh it'd be a big deal now to be fair but um yeah uh, so yes I remember sort of I think I was six each so I really fancied winning as well you know I was obviously quite you know new to that sort of uh, situation but I did feel sort of good and yeah, it was. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It was a really big deal then. Obviously, the UK still is now, but back then it was still best of 17, so it was really hard to get to a quarter-final. Do you remember how you felt coming away from that? Were you thinking, OK, I really want more of this, and I feel this is where I belong, at the business end of these big events? Yeah, absolutely. I'd had a, I was always a bit inconsistent with the... You know, I'd qualify for a lot of events, but didn't quite do it at the venues. But in the matches running up, and I was playing, like, fairly good... So I felt comfortable. So I did come away thinking, oh, you know, that might be a sort of some like springboard or just a kick on, uh, which never really happened. But um, yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was good memories. And what were those next few years like after that run? Um, I don't know really. I mean, it was inconsistent. I'd pop up at a tournament every now and again, but my, my consistency wasn't very good. I think mainly my attitude was bad at the time, obviously bad. But when I think back. To, my, to the stuff that I was missing, things I was balls I might miss or whatever, I do know now why. But I was completely clueless. When well, I was, well tell, I was, tell us. I mean, you've said two very interesting things there. First of all, why was that happening? I didn't know what I was doing. I literally didn't know what I was doing. I was just playing. I had a knack of playing. And I always played. I just got the balls in. Uh, my technique was always pretty good. But, like, I just had a knack to get the balls in. I didn't really know the, the nuts and bolts of what was happening, how to put it right if it went wrong. So it was bought, basically, if I turn up and things didn't work for whatever reason, I was sort of like like a fish out of water, really. I didn't know what to do. And obviously, my bad attitude as well didn't help. That, that I think my bad attitude's been obviously horrendous down the years, but it's not the losing, it's the playing bad. Well, that's what I wanted to ask yeah. you about. The other thing there, you mentioned bad attitude. So what mm. do you mean by that? Well, I'd throw my toys out the pram. I was yeah. obviously very petulant. You know, and I broke me under daft stuff like this. I mean, it's a long time ago, which is obviously ridiculous. But um, and broke my broke my finger. But mm. but yeah, I think it's, I've always struggled with performing badly. I think it's so hard to take, and I, I'm sure all players will be the same. You, you expect that you're going to lose most of the tournaments you're playing. Even the best of the best of the best do. But I think they're performing bad, and if you're doing it over and over again, and you just feel like you can't quite play like how you can and show yourself that is frustrating and I think that's where the most frustration came from really because that's why I was interested that you used the word bad attitude I think when people think of bad attitude they think more that you weren't practicing properly you were arrogant and I don't think that was the case it was more a temperament thing yes might be the way of putting it absolutely I've always practiced always give myself the best chance I did it's funny enough I did a lot right 
you know, I've always done a lot right in, in my career, but obviously, you know, I didn't get the outcome that I wanted most of the time. But um, yeah, I think I did all those other things, but at the time I just did never really felt like a sort of relaxed enough to play like you have to play um, to, to be regular, sort of challenging. Uh, but yeah, but I, the bad attitude is I didn't take it very well. And I, I was a bit petulant. I think that's the worst way. But I, and as I grew up, I got better. But I still have the odd outburst every now and again. There's another side to it as well, though, because you talk about being petulant. Also, there were times where it looked like you didn't believe you could get the job done. You seemed to have a lack of confidence in yourself, yeah. which seemed strange because we'd seen already what a talented player you were. And this really came out when you played Steve Davis yeah. at the World Championship 2005 <laughs> or in the last yeah, 16. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to remind you of it. Yep, you were 8-2 up. Yes. And yes. anyway, he turned it around to win 13-10. And it was as if once he got a couple of frames back that you, you started to feel almost unworthy of it, that I can't be here beating Steve Davis. Was that how it was? Yeah, I don't think I thought that directly, but I did remember at the time, obviously I got nervy. I mean, nerves have always been something that I've struggled with. I mean, I know that. You know, that, Does it mean so much? Is that it? I, I, no, I just, I just... Where can I put it, right? So I've played to a high level a lot a long a lot over the years like good enough to sort of you know do really well I know what it feels like I know how I have to feel to play that level to be in control of the white to not you know to save make any daft shots to save yourself just being in control of everything like you see top players do and I've never actually felt like that in a match ever so how can you well, change that is that something you've tried to do? Have you worked with someone? Because it seems like prime territory yeah. for someone who's really talented but well, hasn't produced to go and see a psychologist. Absolutely. I've been worked with some great people down the years. Obviously, Chris Henry's, you know, worked with, and, and a lot of what, you know, I, mean, I, I went all in, you know, and I think I got better improved. But, I mean, obviously, it's something I've, because it's not something I've failed at. And I'm not on my own. I'm not making out I'm some kind of tortured genius. Do you know what I mean? Um, I, 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 a lot of players do do get that. Uh, whether they admit it or not is up to them, but I know that's why I failed or fail. But um, I've read loads about it. You know, I can't just leave it. I'm that kind of person. And I've read loads, and the stuff that re I'm reading at the minute, or I've read uh, recently, they they saying that years and years for years and years, you can if you tell yourself you can be this and that and the other, uh, you can believe it. And the few things I've read at the minute, they last twenty years, they're realizing that. It's not actually that simple. It's you know it goes to genetics really. If you if you're a person with a a more emotional uh, you know more sensitive emotional brain, then you are going to react differently to some people that aren't. So maybe that's it. I don't know. When you look at that match against Steve at the Crucible that had turned around, would you go so far as to say you were in a dark place after it, or how did you feel about missing an opportunity like that? Um, yeah, it was disappointing at the time. I, I probably. The, I don't think about it a lot. Um, I've had plenty of chances after that. Mm. You know, you can think, oh, is that a pivotal, is that, you know, a crossroads in my career? No, it wasn't. You know, if I'd have got through that game, maybe I'd have failed again after. You, you don't know. I mean, I don't look at it that deeply. It was me just lost, losing a snooker game. Obviously, I was disappointed, obviously. Um, you know, because it was the first time at the Crucible. I could have got to a quarter final. You know, I was playing Steve Davis. You know, I didn't appreciate what I was doing at the time. I really didn't appreciate. That was what the my biggest regret. I didn't appreciate it. That was my biggest regret, really. But losing a snooker game is not. 
you know, everything's, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, I, I would have, if I was going to go on to do better things, I would have still done them, even if I lost that match. You would have played Sean Murphy in the yes. quarterfinals. Yeah. And he, of course, went on to win the championship as yeah. a complete outsider. And yeah, yeah. you were actually a more prominent player going into that championship than he yeah. was. So I wonder, when he won it, were you looking on thinking, this could have been me? I don't think that. I, d I don't think that. I mean, you know, Sean showed to be a great champion. Do you know what I mean? He had it in him um, to, to be that champion. If I'd have had it in me to be that champion, I would have done it. Nothing stops you. There's no... There's no Ronnie O'Sullivan, Sean Murphy, sitting at home, or any great champion uh, that have been robbed somehow in a match and never come on. You know, most players eventually, if they keep going, you know, like Mark Selby had a bad time at the start of his career. You know, Neil Robertson dropped off the tour. If they keep going, they'll do it. And if you were looking for some perspective at the end of that championship, anyway it was very easy to find because in the first round you'd beaten Paul Hunter yes. and as we know he was yeah. in the early stages of what turned out to be a tragic yeah. situation and you were good friends with him weren't you? Yeah, yeah, we, we sort of hung around a bit, bit together and, and you know we practiced together sometimes and obviously we played for England together as juniors mm. so sort of it was my era you know I mean I was not like friends like Matthew Stevens was his big pal you know within the game yeah. was, you know but um, yeah I mean it was, it was just a tragic, tragic time really Let's talk about happier things. And the PTC events came along a few years after that. And you did really well in them. You won a couple of them. Uh, there was one at the Academy in Sheffield. But the bigger one probably was the one before that in Prague because yeah. that was on television. And obviously it was overseas, so a big buzz yeah. about that. You beat uh, Mark Selby. You beat Sean Murphy, actually, along I the did. way as well. And then in the final, you beat John Higgins. Yeah. So what clicked for you that week? Do you know, it's funny because that, that year, my dad had his stroke. Up until the run-up to that event, because the PTC events, were, there was a, at the end of it, there was a, a, a finals, weren't they? For people yeah, the, the players who'd done best overall yeah. throughout the season. And I kept losing, because I was up the hospital every day. Do you know what I mean? I'd not practised a lot. I was a bit distracted. It's probably my worst run I'd had in my career, really. as, as And then I used to come, go to PTs, come home, see my dad, you know, and whatever. And um, that before that one, before I went to that one, I had no hopes. I, had to, I knew I had to win it to get in the 80. I didn't even know, to be honest. I was around 80. And I said to me, I'll try and win it. I'll try and win it for you. And he was sort of laughing, laughing at me, really, just the fact that I said it. And he had a really bad draw. I think I beat, I think I beat Joe Swale. Uh, I think I beat Stephen Maguire as well. This all sounds about right. Yeah, yeah Stephen yeah. Maguire. I had, and it's funny, when I got there, Dave didn't go with me. He's always been around me, Dave, Dave Bramley. He's always, so you're a manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. manager. Or, yeah. You know, I mean, my friend now. You yeah. know what I mean? uh, and he, he didn't go. And he always went and he booked me in this place that was awful. And in fact, I've got the video on my phone of, of, of going, the only place you booked me in here. It was, it was nowhere near the players, anywhere else. And literally that day, I'd just turn up, play me back, say, what time do I play? I'd play and then I'd say, what time do you want me back? And I'd just leave. And it ended up, like I say in the final, it was 3-0 up or 2-0 up, went 3-2 down and 1-4-3. And that got me in the finals. And yeah, it was a... And obviously it was nice to bring the trophy back and show me dad really as a bit of light and when was sort of the family was in a bit of a dark period. And did you think afterwards, how can I channel this now? How can I recreate this feeling in my head? Yeah, I, a lot, a lot. Um, because I just felt like I was trying as hard as I can, but I wasn't sort of, I wasn't really, didn't really care about anything. I was just trying to win my next match. And, and, and you know, it's not like a major ranking event, but... Obviously, you've still got to beat some good players, and everybody's trying. Do you know what I mean? And you know, it was yeah, it was a nice story in a way, like I say. But um, I've, I've tried everything down the years to sort of try and 
just relax and play. <laughs> I've never really quite cracked, cracked it. Well, you have at times. I yeah. mean, there was that yeah. event and you got to a semi-final in yeah. Shanghai, which was pretty close, and then Jay Gudong pulled away at the end. And you have been in a full-scale ranking final. Yeah. Now, we'll talk about the shootout, which obviously <laughs> falls into that category as well. But in Riga in 2016, again, you beat Selby, you beat Bingham, you beat Williams. Great run along the way. What are your memories then of the final against Neil Robertson? Um, again, I went into it fancy winning. Always, it's funny. As much as my confidence is always low, as far as I, I'm not, yeah, I always, I'm not a particularly confident person in that respect. Do you know what I mean? I, I do falter, you know, in nerves wise. I would always back myself against. I think if I just play all right, if I play like I can, I, I'll back myself against anyone. So if it just, I've always got that hope. You know, what mm. I mean? it keeps me going. And um, yeah, and I think I think he fluked to red at three. At two each or three two, which I probably remind him of more than I should. But yeah, um, uh, but yeah, I don't think I played bad in that final. I can't remember much about it. I come away from it thinking because I think I'd got to the. I think I'd beaten Neil at the Crucible the season before. Yeah, uh, and I played him a few times around that time. And I think I was, was probably my best period as a professional. That was. Uh, I had a bit going. I got a bit of momentum, and I was playing all right. And I was. And then I think I went to China and lost to two matches against Stuart Bingham in a decider in back-to-back tournaments in China. Whereas do I just get, you know, maybe there? I think that's the period in my career where I felt like I was playing all right. I felt like I was playing consistently all right. And if something may have clicked, then maybe. More than so that the Davis match. I think it was just a one-off game. Mm. But like that, that period, 2016, was probably my best period as a professional. And I genuinely felt maybe if something would have ter- would have gone for me then, we, nobody ever knows. But uh, I think yeah, I think it was the period that I th- think oh maybe. I mentioned the shootout there, yes. and you won that. Well, I was going to three years ago. Oh, so. listen, no, no way we could get through this without <laughs> talking about the shootout. And people say it's a very different event, and it's not the same as other tournaments and that. And of course, it is different. But you're standing there on live TV with a trophy. £50,000 in your pocket. You're not thinking what event it is at all. You just want to experience that during your career, and you did. Absolutely. You know, and I'll never forget the memories. Um, You know, it was just all a a bit of a blur, but I do remember certain bits of it. I remember just before the final, just going out, talking to my wife before I went out, and said, you know, this is worth, don't you? (laughs) You know, and and yeah, just to stand there with a trophy is, is your memories. You know, it's great. You know, like you say, it's the shootout, but... You know, the people there as well. It's just before lockdown. Yeah. Uh, so it made, and Amy was pregnant at the time. She was ready to give birth. So it made, uh, and it was a horrible time for a lot of people, the the, the, the the pandemic. But we had like, we had we had Sadie born. We was together. And obviously just after that. So it was not that bad a time for us in that respect. You know what I mean? So all that, that, that sort of summer, I think back, you know, quite fond memories really. This could be the deal breaker if this goes in. So, 57 in front, the pink, and Zhou Yulong needs a snooker. Well, what a moment, because really, he knows he's won now. If he can just knock a couple more balls in, then he can really treat this as a lap of honour. Red stays out, but 63 in it, 59 on. Zhou Yulong's got to pull something special out here. Well, he's shaking hands, that's it. And the hitman hits big. Michael Holt has won the shootout. His first televised title. And he's going to enjoy this night. 
because it's 24 years in the making. That's how long he's been a professional. Well and Holty, you're the champ. You had been in the final of the shootouts another year as well. It's your event and it just seems to suit you so well. We saw it again when you played in it this year. Now, it would seem obvious the shot clock seems to suit you so well because it doesn't give you any time to think about it and get into your own head. So is there any way you could channel that? And you, you must have thought of this and perhaps even tried it to almost impose a shot clock on yourself. Is that something you've tried? Uh, yes, I've, I've not quite tried that drastically, but yeah, I know what you mean. I do think about that a lot. I, I mean, obviously I've been lucky at times. Yeah, like you've got to be, but I don't think it's complete coincidence that the shot clock does actually force me to, to just play. Because mm. I've always said, if I just play, I'm all right. I'll be all right. I take my chances. Do you know what I mean? But like I say, that's if you look at the, the average shot times, I think a good example of it is in the average shot times, I'm usually around 23, say about around mid-table, mid of the mm. table. But I don't feel rushed in, rushed in the shootout. I don't feel rushed in the shootout. I genuinely don't feel rushed when I'm playing. But it's not your natural game to play at that pace, because going way back to that yeah. 99 UK, you were sprinting around the table, yeah. as I recall it. But that goes back to my mindset. Mm. You know, it's because I'm overthinking, because I'm, I'm considering everything that could happen. I'm not just getting on with it, so... That's where I fail. That that's it. You know, it's not because I can't play. I can play all the shots in my sleep, like literally in my sleep. So it's and again, that sounds a bit probably arrogant. I don't mean it like that, but I just know that I can. So I've done it. So um, and it's just the mindset that stops me. That's what makes great champions. You know, all the champions they all play different. We've all got different this, that, the other, different preparation, different personalities. But one thing they've all got in common is they can go out there and handle it. That's the difference. That's it. You can talk about anything, but that is it. <laughs> I've seen it. We'll talk about other things in a moment, but let's come to the quick fire round. Favourite movie? Um, oh, you put me on the spot there. Well, that's what this is all about. Rita Sue and Bob 2. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely has never come up yeah. before. Best place you've ever been on holiday? Uh, oh, oh, we... Uh, oh. Me and Amy travel around the islands in Thailand. We really love that. Oh, right. But we, we only mooned in... Uh, Oh, the place in Greece. Uh, the little island off Greece. There's a load of islands. No, the, <laughs> the, the one that's really famous with all the white buildings. I can't believe it. Can't You're remember. putting me on the spot. Yeah, now. yeah. Anyway, let's She'll just say me. Greece. Yeah. Favourite song? Um, oh, it's got to be... Um, it's got to be... It's got to be... It's got to be a Stone Roses song. Oh, OK. Um... A big fan of uh, Resurrection. The ideal way for you to spend a day off? Oh, with a family, absolutely. And what would you do? Uh, well, Amy would probably drag me to some kind of play centre or some farm park, mm. which I don't like, but I enjoy the kids having a nice time. But yeah, we, I, swimming, okay. around the swimming pool on holiday, that's the best family day. And finally, and this is a chance for you to get some revenge here, because I know you were a bit miffed about being left out by another player. Players you would go on a night out with. Yeah, it's, it's still a sore subject. Yeah. Uh, 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 Mark Selby, Barry Hawkins, uh, Joe Perry, even though he won't bring me. Okay. Uh, uh, Jerry Green, uh, Mark Williams, he can come if he wants. Um, there's a few, to be honest. I'm quite friendly with quite a lot of players. I'm quite, you know what I mean? I don't 
just like anyone. But yeah, they're, they're the sort of usual. Mark Davis is usually there as well. Little crew we, we well used to have them part of anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about away from snooker. Something I remember from a few years ago it was around the time of the whole Charlie Hebdo story in France and the hostages right. and all the rest of it. And I remember you sitting in the players' room and talking about it. And you might not even remember this, but I took it in and I thought, this is unusual, actually. Most snooker players, all they seem to think about is snooker and one or two related issues. But you were actually reasonably well informed about it all. And it was clear that you do actually take an interest in what's going on in the world. Would that be fair? Yeah, I'm interested in the news uh, and politics. Hmm. Um, you know, you try not to talk about politics with people. Cause it could mm. Not in Britain tears. these days. No, 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 yeah. no. Um, so it's something that I'm interested like, you know, yeah, I'm interested in that sort of stuff. Uh, so I do take... But I'd like to sort of... I like to learn about things. I like to sort of... If I don't understand it, I want to understand it. I want to I win every argument, basically. <laughs> so um, that makes me want to sort of learn about stuff. And if it's topical at the time, then I'll probably look into it. And talking of learning, you took a business degree, didn't you? Yeah, I took a business degree. Then I ended up being an open degree. Uh, I got a... Uh, what they called it? Um, I didn't finish the degree because I didn't have time. But I had. A, I got a... Diploma of higher education, which was politics, some politics, some business. Mm-hmm. Um, it was something I enjoyed doing. I just enjoyed learning. I, like, I did that quali- that qualification in PT, didn't I, years ago? Because mm-hmm. I wanted to start going to the gym. So I thought, I need to learn. So I did a qualification in it. <laughs> so, and yeah, it was, it was all right. And when you started the degree, was it just something you wanted to do? Or did you see it as potentially something you could move into after the snooker? I think it was at the time. I thought it's given me a few options, maybe. Uh, and again, just it was. I just enjoy sort of learning about it or whatever. Uh, I think the business, business I thought was quite generic. I might be able to use it in the future, mm. but um, I probably should have picked politics. To be honest, I probably should have done that, um, and, and I'd have enjoyed it even more. But um, yeah, yeah, I th- I, it's not panning out like I'm going to use any kind of qualification anyway. The sort of coaching sort of seems to be taking over. Really, you mentioned Greece there. And am I right in thinking you spent a summer working in Greece some years ago yeah. when you were actually already on the tour? Yes. Well, these were the battle days when we used to have sort of finishing mm. April, May and not start till September, October. So obviously my friends, my mates at the time, I was single, <laughs> you know, young and what was I, 23, something like that. Mm. Um, and they said, we're going to Greece for the summer. I went, I'll have a bit of that. And yeah, me and my mate, um, well, a few of four of us went, but we was I was basically standing outside a bar uh we got free drinks and 25 euro a night. So it was perfect. It's mm. the best job I've ever had. That's all you need, isn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. For a working holiday. And the job was to chat, chat people up and bring them in. So. Were you good at it? Amazing. Yeah, I can well believe that. <laughs> you spent a lot of time travelling in those days because, as you say, the tournament circuit wasn't brilliant in no. that era, but there were all kinds of pro-ams going on all around Europe, and you yeah. used to travel to a lot of those, didn't you? It must uh, be great memories. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, because it's a pro-am sort of environment, we have some, you know, and I think that's... Why you times like that you do make you do bond with the players quite a lot. I mean, think about some of the players that I was juniors with. I've known them for thirty years. Do you know what I mean? And so you spend a lot of time with them. When you're away, you know you will open up every night. You know every now and again. So you do sort of make good friends, really. Um, but yeah, we've had some fantastic times. They're not for this podcast. No, anyway. we might do a separate <laughs> yeah. one for that and charge people to listen yeah, to it. Yeah. <laughs> So, moving back more into the present day then, Holti, obviously last season you end up dropping off yeah. the tour. And for someone who loves being part of it all, for reasons you've just outlined, and who knows how much ability he's got, how hard was that for you to take? 
very tough. Obviously, disaster dropping off. You know, I was 65 on one list. I need to be 64. Fifth mm. on the other one, I need to be four. Mm. I lost a lot of deciders, and then I lost to get back on. It was just, I don't think you could drop off being as close to staying on as I did. But ultimately, it's my fault. Ultimately, I shouldn't have been down there in the first place. What you know. was it the last couple of years that dragged you down to that level? Well, no, I only had one bad year. Mm. Uh, I, the, 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 usually you need two years to drop off. I was in the top 32, so you need two years to drop off. Because of COVID and less tournaments and the fact that the World Championship is such big, such a big... Counts for so money, many points, it, yeah. The way, the way the system is now, if you lose in the wrong events, you're in trouble. You can win games in others... But if you lose in the UK or the world early, that can just absolutely kill you. Because I think the last event, because the year before I dropped off, I was going to the to the World Championship mid-30s. And I was top 32 play at the start of the season. I was all right. Dropping off is impossible, basically. It's impossible the next year where I was, right? But I didn't realise, because I'm a really bad snooker fan. I don't really know what's going off. I just know when I play next and I'll crack on with that. But um, So I, must have, I lost my first match in the world. I drew Jamie Jones. It was a tough draw at the time because he was coming from round one because it's his first year back and he was doing all right. He beat me 6-3, so I just never thought about it. I thought, oh, but I was annoyed. I'll be mid-40s, worst way. And I was sitting in my living room, and I'll never forget, somebody posted a scoring stat how many hundreds of people made. So I thought, I wonder where I landed on that last year. So I opened my phone up, and I'm looking for me. It's top 64. So I'm looking for my name. I'm like, Where's, what's going off here then? And I looked into it. I dropped from dropped to 66 on the one-year list with one event. People, if I'd have won that game, I'd been like early 20s, no problem. And then you sit in, sitting all right, aren't you, for the next year? So that one game, all of a sudden, I still have to have the bad year after. But I start the next year at 66, and then the first two or three different tournaments, I played absolutely fine. I played well. I got decided, decided, decided. Good. I was thinking, oh, I'm going to start winning because I feel great here. Practicing, I was practicing great. Honestly, you can't believe it. And then I had a wobble. I was two or three games in the middle of the and I did start to feel nervy. Tried to rally to sort of save it and ended up losing to uh, uh, Tom Ford, 6-3 to stay on. I played better than he did in that game and got beat. But And that was it. And that was that. So it, it all sort of came, it happens really quickly. Um, like I said, I didn't have the two bad years you'd need normally with, with, you know, with the China events, the money's more stretched out. But, you know, that was that. I mean, there were a few players down there at that time, weren't there, that you wouldn't expect, and I was just one that missed out. But ultimately, my fault. Again, I'm not making excuses here. It's my fault. But like I say, it was just things happened, really, and I was on the wrong end of it. And what have you been doing for the last year? I know you mentioned coaching there, and you've been building that up a bit. Yes, the coaching is going amazing. I mean, obviously, it's something that I can do. Because I know, you know, I mean, I've been around there for a long time, and since I've had, it's, it's been really flattered with the feedback I'm having. You know, mm. um, it's going great, to be honest. It's made, keeping us going. Can I that be a full-time career? Is there enough work in it? Absolutely, there is. I didn't realise there was, to be honest. I didn't know this world was out there, um, and now I'm involved in it. You know, there, there is. Yeah, you can. Obviously, want to get back on tour. That the main goal is to get on tour. And if if I did get back on tour, I would definitely keep doing it obviously less time I'd probably limit it to 15 hours a week something like that or whatever but I would, I would definitely do it because I quite enjoy it to be honest because I've been around professionals forever and everybody's good and then you still forget how hard people find it and, and, and you know and helping them showing them the right way guiding them I've made a little bit of a thing 
for myself as far as I know. A lot of people are involved technically, Q actions and all that. I think they're going to be a good player if they queue like Neil Robertson. It's 5% of it. Neil Robertson isn't a good player because he queues well. <laughs> it's, the, it's just something he can do. It's great. It's because he fluked that ball against yeah. you and Riga. Absolutely. And it, it all goes went back from to there. That, yeah. But it? you know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's less of less of why he's a good player than people think, basically. Um, and people are wrapped up in all this stuff. So I'm sort of trying to drag people away from that. Uh, the circle of death, I call it. I'll change this, I'll change that, I'll change this. Anyway, so I enjoy it for that reason. But like I say, main objective is to, to, to get on the tour. I mean, mainly because I'm still more than good enough. Like, more than good enough. So... Um, I have to sort of keep trying until that's not the case. The chance was there at the shootout. Had you won that, of course, you would have been back on the tour. I had the wonderful pleasure during that event of doing an interview with you and your wife and your two children. And when you look at all that and you see what a lovely family you have, that's number one now anyway, isn't it? It's got to be more important than anything else by far. Absolutely. I mean, I'm truly blessed, you know. I mean, uh, you know, we had we had a tough 2022 for, for a, quite a few different reasons, do you know what I mean? And it was, yeah, but but we're still blessed to have each, you know, have each other, and like I say, touch wood, everybody's healthy and everybody's great. So, yeah, I mean, ultimately, that's what my life's all about now. But uh, I'd still want to get on. I still want to get back on, to be fair. <laughs> and if you do get back on, you look at the age of some of the guys who are winning yeah. tournaments: Joe Perry, Robert Milkins, guys like that, and even the very top players in the game yeah. are still around for the last thirty years. So if you get back on, there can still be good times to come, can't there? Absolutely. I mean, you know, for, I don't know why people think that 40 odds too old to play snooker. It's not. If your eyes are all right and you want to play, no mm. problem. I mean, look at the best player. The best player in the world is 46, 47, and, he, you know, he's all right. But I think my main goal, if I got back on, would be just to enjoy it. Because the biggest tragedy in my career is that I've enjoyed everything else but the matches. The matches have been an ordeal for me at times. So... All I want to do is get on and think, right, I'm just going to enjoy it. Even if it just lasts two years, I'm just going to enjoy it and, and, and hopefully I get that chance. Well, the circuit is poorer at the moment without your full-time presence. So we hope to see you back on soon. And it's been great chatting to you. Thanks so much for joining us, Holti, on the World me. Snooker Tour podcast. Thank you, thank you. Next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast, it's Joe O'Connor. As he reflects on what's become by far the best season of his career and offers some insight into experiencing a ranking semi-final during his first season. It was my first semi-final and I didn't realise the cloth got recovered on the semi-finals, mm. which threw me off a lot. Um, and, you know, I've, I've said this to sort of mates and family, I think the um, balls were polished as well and it just played so different to the the rest of the week. Um, I, it was almost like, you know, playing with side and... and sort of technical shots, um, it was just a guess. So that's coming up next time on the World Snooker Tour podcast. And don't forget our bonus content, The 147, rounding up the week's snooker headlines in 147 seconds, out every Tuesday and available to download at wst.tv. Until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye.